welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview Treasury professionals about their Treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to them about how they've built their careers, where they are now, where they see both themselves and the Treasury profession going to next. Let's get on with the show. This week's show, I'm joined by Ara Hamamjian, the Executive Director and Treasurer at Biomarin. Founded in 1997, Biomarin is a global biotech company dedicated to transforming the lives, everyone's lives through genetic discovery. They develop and commercialize targeted therapies that look at the root cause of genetic conditions to treat those with rare genetic diseases. But I'm going to get Ara to explain that a little bit later on the show, as we do each and every week. And he's got this great uh, history within Treasury, a lot of different industries and everything else. So that's something we're going to explore as we go through. But as we do always, we start off with Ara's origin story, if you like, how you first discover finance and then treasury. You've got some great companies in your background, so we're going to walk through that. Take us back to the, I know it's a dim distant past, Ara, but take us back to the beginning, if you would. Over to you, sir. Certainly, and I'm happy to be here, and thanks for uh, engaging. It depends on how far you want to go back, I suppose. I'll, I'll do the best with the memory that I have. <laughs> Well, university, um, and then because that, obviously you've got an economics background degree, but of course. did that then lead you into finance and treasury, or how did how did it all kick off? Yeah, no, I stumbled into it, but found a passion early on. So, was studying economics at university, and and actually took the role of treasurer for my college fraternity. That would be my first foray into the career. After I graduated, I actually went to uh, work at an asset management firm, so got quite familiar with. Primarily the equity markets, but understood currency a little bit at that time. Found that I liked it. Found that I liked engaging with financial partners. The thing that was hard for me was uh, the cold calling and building a business. So actually in around 2000, timed well to the dot-com bubble, I decided to leave and, and try to figure out what I wanted to do next. And, and, and took about a year and a half, two years of, of different consulting and contract work before I saw a role at, at Hewlett Packard come up as a treasury analyst doing cash management. And I figured, well, between my my deep uh, college experience as a fraternity treasurer, I'd give it a go and was lucky enough to, to start my career at HP. So you were doing that well, just after the turn of the century. Was that post-Agilent and the spin-off of that? or? Yeah, it was, it was post the spin-off. It was actually during the time of the uh, HP and Compact integration. It would have been 2002. Uh, fall 2002 is when I started. And talk us through that people, I, I, I'm a, well, I'm on, talking to you through an HP computer today. So there you go. But with HP, I know the firm rather well, but for those that don't, can you give us an idea of what HP was like back around then and then how it changed throughout your time? And then we'll link that into your treasury career, if you like. The HP way was a known cultural, uh, corporate culture. Yeah. And so I found it quite fulfilling both to have a large population of, of employees that were, call it legacy. So 15, 20, 25 year plus folks understanding the history of the company, but they were also in this period of merging with another large company, sort of redefining some of the organizations that included hiring into treasury to account for a new, much larger company. And over my sort of eight years there, the company was acquisitive as well, which which led both to you know differences in experiences, M&A integration. They created quite a bit of development from a professional perspective, just because of the growth of the company at that stage and 
integrating different cultures and, and different profiles of, of, of team members. So I, I found myself in three different roles during that time, which was a great way to sort of move across the treasury function and get, for, get different types of exposures. And how was it structured then again? I'm trying to put it to one side. I know how it's structured because I recruited for the group. So I, you know, in both <laughs> the UK and across in the US, with a lot of people were transferring as well. But you know, you went treasury analyst up to treasury manager. Was was that a program that was there, or how, what was the size of the uh, team in Palo Alto? I think. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I'd say the the global treasury team was between ninety and hundred people at that time. I, I moved within what was at the time called the Treasury Service Center. So that was sort of your traditional daily treasury operations, FX back office, sort of debt interest rate settlement and back office as well. Moved into a project management group, which was at that time primarily focused on either large global projects or M&A integration, which is what I tended to spend a lot of my time on. We'd acquired a company called Mercury for I vaguely remember somewhere in the four or four and a half billion dollar range. So that was a great way to see across the functions outside of sort of core treasury, you know, the typical legal business development teams, accounting, of course, and onward. And then actually moved into foreign exchange sort of strategy and front office team. So that would have set within debt, capital markets, FX group. And then you would have had outside of that another dedicated sort of IM systems project management team, plus, of course, the, the benefits plans and onward from there. If you, you know, I know it's a while ago, but it's a great way to sort of a great foundation for your career there. Someone listening today and they're looking at it thinking, well, should I go to a big corporate like an HP, you know, in the you know UK, you've got people like Shell and you know, big mega majors and things like that, or, you know, for you, that was very positive, you know, but some of the people said, well, actually, no, I'd like to be in a smaller treasury. What do you feel that, say, working in a group where there was a 100 other treasury professionals gave you that, you know, you've been in all sizes of companies since then. But if you reflect back, was was that the ideal foundation for you? Or what do you think? For me personally, it actually worked out beautifully. I needed to get grounded in the sort of core of treasury and build depth of expertise. And, and what I would say in a larger company like that, when you've got sort of loads of experts that can mentor and develop you and train, you're well set up for that, that sort of format of learning, which might be focusing on a handful of core functions and becoming, let's again, call it a, a deep expert, and then looking for opportunity to rotate within that larger corporate. I still keep in touch with folks there, and I, I still think that's part of their their innate culture is this development and ro rotation opportunity. So it worked well for me at that time. For someone else, you know, a smaller group where you do a bit of everything and sometimes, you know, find one or two areas of passion that you want to get deeper into is, is a good model. That pace might be a different pace than HP would have been at that time. And that's sort of where I've found myself after HP is going into these sort of eight to 12 person groups maybe even five at one point, uh, come to think of it, and sort of jumping throughout the functions. You know, frankly, between between calls, you're, you're <laughs> moving across groups. And so you've been there eight, nine years. What, what was, it was time to move on, grow? What, how come the move? 
bit of everything, a bit of circumstance of, you know, certainly where, where I was living, where I was at in my life, and, and also wanting to go to something smaller and, and see different aspects of treasury maybe more, more quickly at that time. I'd, I'd been pretty focused on building my network, understanding what was out there, and, and it was a bit eye-opening. Again, that was my first treasury role at HP and started understanding how the function existed at all different types of profiles of companies and at different levels where you, you might see a bit more of the treasury function. And that, that was ultimately what was appealing to me, what was, was having more of the treasury function either directly under my you know remit or having more exposure to it. And so at that time, the Levi Strauss opportunity came up and it was FX, it was international cash management, liquidity, some investments. And that, that was, that was appealing along with the brand itself, which I thought was very cool at the time and still is. Yeah, no, still is cool. But, and then, but you were also involved in a transition of international treasury ops as well. And that's, I just talked about this last week in Chicago that, one of my past candidates clients he he sort of neglected to sort of mention that on his linkedin profile and everything else and you were right at the heart of things but you know transitioning stuff that's a great thing to do it's challenging and things how come you were transitioning treasury operations brussels to san fran you know what was that like for you as well and and any any key learnings from that that was a unique experience for sure Levi's at the time was, again, kind of going through a little bit of a refresh in terms of the brand that would also have some restructuring involved. And at the time, they, they really wanted to focus on centralizing the, a global treasury team to San Francisco. So me and another colleague actually went out and spent a, a few weeks in Brussels understanding what they, what they did on a day-to-day basis. So a lot of it was um, FX-focused, but obviously international liquidity and intercompany and bringing, essentially bringing that expertise back sort of in-house to San Francisco. I'd say that the learning there, I mean, the, the first one is amazing to have an international experience, even if it's for a few weeks. I, I'd encourage anybody who in particular is in a global treasury function to think about a way to get a to get that exposure. The, the other one I, I'd say is, is when you're in particular transitioning, you know, someone's role, understand the dynamic of the people you're working with and kind of be respectful of that. A lot of times people just think, oh, train me, hand over the task and, and I'm done. They don't necessarily think what, what, what that impact is to the person that you're potentially quote unquote taking the work from. Mm. So be, I'd say be considerate of that side as well. And can I just double check, Levi Strauss, I just see it as the clothing retail brand. Is that right? Is that the predominance of it and things? Exactly. Jeans, clothing accessories, but they have a number of brands within the company. And and so they've grown substantially since the time I was there. I want to say there were about three, three and a half billion of revenue at that time. And um, I haven't looked lately. I know they went public as well since I was there. So the, the company has changed quite a bit over the last right. 12, 12 years or so. And so from there, and again, I'm doing these, you know, quizzing because uh, the worst bit is I know Hewlett Packard very well. I know Levi Strauss <laughs> very well. And you and I take it for granted. And then I sometimes find myself questioning and in, in a way, if a company is less well-known, it's easier for me to ask a question. I'm saying, well, you know, explain a bit more and, you know, and, and in a way that's what we'll do with Biomarin a bit later, but, You've got three amazing brand names because then you went to Electronic Arts. Can you again explain what the company 
does and or did at the time and what you the scope of it I, I again i a brand i know well and i think a lot of people yeah do, but i think it also it's interesting how maybe the treasury was different in all three but let's just just do you know i was about to say ea games but not um, electronic arts what was that like yeah so the the transition to ea was a couple things and and you hit on one of one of the areas that i had considered over time which is i, I tended to focus on brand names that people do my, my joke is those sort of made for easy cocktail party conversations yeah uh you know at levi's it was oh are you wearing 501s or 559s at hp it was about the laptop or the pc you had and that often devolved into my computer has crashed and can you help me oh my God. Um, now ea would have been a global games video games company and yeah people say ea games or ea sports but it, it would have spanned quite a bit larger than uh, just a handful of games. You know, they were publishing, I think, 15 to 20 games at the time, FIFA being uh, one of their largest, if not the largest game, along with Madden Football and then a bunch of other games. So in my younger pre-kid days, used to actually play video games. And again, it was someone I knew at, at the company that was hiring and changing their treasury organization a little bit. And so Again, sort of networking and, and being connected pay, paid off in terms of hearing about the opportunity. So I was at Levi's for a fairly short time, but this role, which was, an, again, a bit of an expanded role and the company profile were just so appealing. I, I, I took a bit of a risk to, to make a change at that time. And that would have been overseeing global FX, again, sort of international treasury, but at a frankly, just at a different, a different scale, higher margin business, which was unique and, and fun to see as well. That, that profit profile, you know, of higher growth was also quite appealing. What about size of team? Because when you were HP, you, as we alluded or talked about there, you're part of a group of 90 to hundred people. Levi, what sort of size were you there globally? Yeah, Levi's was about 12. And I might I might touch on that point because it's an interesting one. It was a it was a bit of a culture not culture shock workshop going from a large large multinational to that size of group going from highly specialized in terms of functional ownership to having to do a bit of everything. And you know, having been in FX strategy in front office, I thought, well, I'm just gonna those are the things I'll do and I'll trade and call it good. But yeah. it was actually getting in all, to all the day-to-day -day operations as well. And frankly, taking a couple of zeros off the end of everything I did. So it, it took a little bit of time. And then again, having grown up in large, large corporate, found that I liked that sort of small, medium-sized group. And uh, Electronic Arts at the time was sort of call it eight to 10 people. And so that transition was easier. I understood that I needed to be a bit more hands-on as a director, but still balance that with, you know, strategy, execution, and the, the typical sort of management presentations, reporting, and analysis. And so I, I found that to be a pretty good sweet spot for me. And as treasury director for a company like Electronic Arts at the time, what were the key things for you to be focusing on with a smaller team? Again, I've sometimes talked to people that when you're in a massive team, you're sort of part of that and you've got your roles very specialized and everything else. Where you're treasury director of a, you know, with a smaller team, you've got to focus 
on different areas or there's there's only so much you can focus on what was that like for you when you were setting direction and things like that yeah i mean there's another dynamic there right which is going from sort of leading people or you know dotted line managing folks to directly managing two three four five people so you do have to change your mentality from this individual contributor subject matter expert to more of a coach and mentor. And you have to carve out the time for things like development and training and and getting your team up to speed, you know, depending on the function. I was lucky to have a balance of, you know, folks with expertise and some new people moving in from other functions. So we could not only cross-pollinate between the groups, but, but, but create a real development path for folks as they moved again, either within my group or across the the treasury function. And then beyond that, it'd be syncing up with the treasurer at the time to make sure directionally we're thinking about the right areas of priority. So at that time, FX, which frankly has consistently been a, a big theme in treasury over the last few years, was a big priority, huge FX headwind. So we put a lot of work into deep analysis and back testing of options versus forwards, currency mix, all the typical areas to, to understand how to bed best mitigate the SFX risk. And from there, you kept you you kept with this uh, idea of uh, had to have a brand name, you know, just so that when you were at that cocktail party, you know, you see we, being a, a an owner of a, you know, in the past, actually a Fitbit, I, I don't know whether it worked very well with me. I don't know. But anyway, we'll, we'll keep going. Not the Fitbits. It was my fault. Not the Fitbit itself. You made a move from there. What, what happened next? Fitbit was, I would say, just about one of the hottest names that time. You know, you can think of the personal fitness tracker path from non-existent to sort of all the headlines was, you know, getting your steps in and Again, an ex-colleague and someone I'd known was leading the treasury function at Fitbit, about a five-person team, hyper-growth company, chance to go smaller and get broader, which was incredibly appealing to me. The role was in San Francisco, which was kind of a vibrant place to work, and it just it had a lot of appeal. The, the brand itself was, again, super strong and I think at the time I was probably on a personal fitness journey as well. So it, it really resonated with me. And so I you know, made, made the change. And talk us through that role then and headcount, because you had a broader role, you know, there as well, which was, you know, started off within treasury, but then it was treasury plus plus. Talk us through that. Yeah, I think, you know, part of part of the appeal of the smaller group, as, as I mentioned, is this this idea that you can get more involved with all aspects of treasury. So certainly as the assistant treasurer, getting more line of sight in particular to, to the capital markets side of the shop was incredibly appealing. Fitbit was trying to balance that org- organic growth and sort of be the M&A profile. So you know, that, that would imply at any given time, there might be a need to do some financing and raise funding. They also had a credit revolver, all the complexity of a much larger company with, you know, revenue growth in the one and a half to two and a half billion range over the sort of three years I was there. Five person shop means everyone's doing everything. Much smaller company means you're connected to 
everyone on the floor, which might be the entire GNA subgroup of functions. And that, that, was, that was an amazing experience, knowing sort of everyone in HR and legal and IT all, all being in it together to push the company forward. And with that, looking back at it, you, you, everything's going at such hyperspeed and you're trying to hang on a little bit. Where do you add the value? You know, what was your focus, if you like? Yeah, I think that's a completely different profile for sure, right? Uh, the larger company is really about you getting developed and fitting into what the treasury function at a large company needs you to do. Hmm. As you go smaller, it's really about you giving value into the company. So that might mean building up the function, creating the externally managed assets, portfolios, evolving the FX function. We were, we were lucky at Fitbit because there were some experts there that had started building a really good foundation. It just needed a bit of enhancement and maturity. And so, again, a great way to leverage large corporate experience and ensure, you know, policies are in place and that guardrails to what we do, risk management strategies in either FX or investments are meeting the management objectives. And you can imagine in a smaller hyper-growth company, like you said, everyone's sort of hanging on and doing everything as fast as you can. And it was a good opportunity to sort of pause and, and I would say bring in some experts and some, some other experiences to leverage to sort of evolve the, the function a bit. And looking at those companies, before we come on to your current one, and, and maybe we'll, that will provide a springboard, but... You've had sort of 19, 20 years of people coming, to, wanting to come to you, you know, wanting to work with you as a, as a treasury department, as a treasurer and things like that. What, what's that been like? Is it always been like that, that people are, as you say, you know, a bit, bit growing exponentially and everything else or, or tougher times sometimes, or was it, have you been in that lucky position where everyone wants to deal with you? Sort of <laughs> I don't believe in luck. No, of course there's luck, but yeah, yeah. I think I think you have to put your yourself in a position in the best position possible, and then luck and timing ha happen to to kick in. Look, I I would say from a professional perspective and the companies I've worked at, all of them have had different challenges or times when stress is at maximum capacity, and you can always sort of work through that. I, I'd say in those situations, if you Surround yourself with the type of people that can support each other and, and develop a group like that is so resilient. They can rally through, you know, almost any kind of business adversity, let's call it. So for me, what that's meant is I've, I've tried to build relationships everywhere I've been and maintain them throughout my career. That, that, that's, Fun from a personal perspective to get together and, and keep in touch, but it's also great from professional, right? It's, yeah. it's easy to it's easy to pick up the phone and say, "Hey, how are you guys handling your investment policy given you know the rates environment and a handful of bank failures?" And you can you can get to any number of companies fairly quickly and get perspective without you know struggling to find a a way for that candid feedback to flow back to you. So. It's, it's it's been quite beneficial, I would say. And I think anyone listening today, that's 
one of the things I said on stage the other day, we were just talking about a LinkedIn profile for some of the more junior candidates. Obviously, you're that much more experienced, so you've got that leverage anyway. But there was, you know, some mid managers, and they were saying, "Well, how do I develop this?" I said, "Well, develop your network." And the the key part about it is network. You know, with it's not easy. I know you've got your day jobs and everything else, but as you say. Then as you've developed your career, you've collected all these great connections on the way that you've got an issue about, you know, your, your cash flow or something with your credit facility. You're thinking, oh, I wonder if somebody else, oh, hang on, I'll pick up the phone to Bob or Mary or things like that. Do, do you find that very useful for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would say one of the themes that I will probably push here is is this idea of networking as a key part of your career development. And again, living in a corporate bubble rarely is the best thing, both for you professionally and for the, the company itself, right? So I'm, I'm an active member of uh, the Life Sciences Treasures Group, which is part of the NOI group. I've been within that, that networking group for going on over 10 years in some form or another. That's one way of building the relationships. You know, again, changing roles has its challenges, but also has its opportunity in, in terms of getting diverse perspective, not only across industry, but within different sizes of groups. And then whenever I can, whether it's, you know, the local treasury symposium or one of these international organizations that comes trying to attend those and making a point of listening to what other companies do. And you can always choose not to do what they do, but hearing about how other companies and people tackle, frankly, a lot of the same challenges is kind of critically important to your development journey. Fantastic. Well, I mean, that could be an episode in itself, but we're going to keep going. <laughs> All right, then you've had enough of these household names, but you know, just before COVID and everything else, you joined BioMarin. Can you explain who BioMarin are and then your role there and everything else? Absolutely. So it's not the most well-known name, almost by definition, right? It's a, it's a rare, a rare disease company. So it's in the biotech space. So we're talking about very small global populations of patients that are receiving in most cases, a unique therapy that only Biomarin provides. And I think that's one of the core sort of passions of the company is this genetic disease discovery and treatment to, to folks that would have never had a path to an improved quality of life. So the company is in Marin, which happens to be where I live as well. And so how the role came about was actually I had known my predecessor who was retiring and I knew a couple of other folks in the company. And it was an incredible opportunity, not only because of the, the company's mission and, and what we do, but also the scope of the role was quite appealing. So a larger treasury function with you know, existing sort of debt and capital markets, all the, all the complexity of a much larger company, but still in that size where you were going to get to know folks and be connected throughout the organizations. It was a bit of a change from my prior experiences, but it's, it's been been fulfilling in a completely different way just simply because of what the company and you joined the group prior to lockdown and everything else what what was that like for yourself you know we, we sometimes touch on it but you were making that move you joined it and then everything happened and everything else 
talk us through that if you would yeah so that's uh that's a good one that one i'll go with my timing was lucky right i I had a chance for about eight months to be in person and and sort of build up uh not only my understanding of of the business but just the, the relationships across the functions so eight months on site and then lockdown march 13th 2020 and we we made the transition pretty darn quickly to operating successfully on a, on a remote basis, actually did a convertible debt deal in May 2020, right when the kind of markets opened back up and again, completely remote, multiple functions, coordinating over Zooms, you know, throughout the day, engaging audit committee, board, et cetera. So that was within the first few months. And I think the company found that people could, could operate in that way successfully. And for, for me, again, I was fortunate enough to have had some on-site time and, and really get into the, the culture of the company and, and get a better understanding. Over the last three years, brought folks in either within my team or across other functions on a remote basis. And we're now in this and have been for a bit, the hybrid model. And so it, it's, been, it's been wonderful to reconnect in person and, and frankly, just beat people that had been hired remotely that for the first time you're sort of seeing in a room. What is that transition like now that what are you focusing on in that hybrid return, if you like? And, you know, I was talking to, you know, and we're doing the AFP in San Diego later this year when I'll be with Leanne Perkins, who works 100% remotely for Specialized Bikes, California-based. She's in Texas. And then you've got Joel Campbell, Trevi Pay. He's, you know, likes a lot some of the hybrid and likes being back in person and coaching the junior team. So you've got a balance between the two with yourself. What are you seeing is is nice about hybrid, and you know what, what's working for you guys? Yeah, I think I think we've each function has a slightly different flavor of how we're handling it, but for the most part, hybrid models what's working what's working best. So that's the two or three days on site. The rest is remote. So to be fair, I've got two folks in Dublin, Ireland. So effectively, they are remote to me the entire time I've been here. So everyone already operated in one form or another on a remote basis before the pandemic, if you had any international presence whatsoever. And we all survived with phone calls and emails. So I would say most, most folks with international experience were already trained in how to sort of adapt to this environment. And then... Obviously, the pandemic accelerated it. You had to do it locally, but for the for the most part, Biomarin is a hybrid culture, and I've I found it to work quite well. Making sure we sync up uh, in person, you know, and you, you could expect that maybe there's going to be a complicated conversation or a a hard conversation or something where you need to align with the other group. Always, I find it best served in person if possible. Mm. Well, it's an interesting uh, point actually because. I was talking to a lady just last week in Chicago. She's had a team in Ireland, very similarly, but for them, and she's been based in Ireland at one stage, she said it was quite interesting because for her, you know, when they went hybrid or when they went remote, rather, she was used to it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was her life. And so actually she she was like, well, now now we get more regular meetings with me. <laughs> I was just like, wow. She, yeah. It, it sort of, it, it sort of, brought it more mainstream for her, which was a positive thing as well. So 
Yeah, um, I mean the there there is a there is the, for sure that has increased connectivity not just across oceans and continents but even across buildings <laughs> frankly where now it's like oh this is a lot easier to just jump on a zoom. I think for me there's there's a couple of other sides of that equation. One, the sort of meeting fatigue that can occur on occasion because you're missing the sort of walk around the building stat piece of it. That That's probably something that's, I think, settling down. And then I think, you know, the form of communication, right? If you go from email, which can be ineffective because, you know, n- nuances would be lost there to in-person where you can sort of read body language. Finding that right mix is always going to be important. And so sometimes video is more helpful. Sometimes in person is more helpful. You know, I think that's up to people to, to sort of sort out how to best engage with people. And post that now, and you, I know you were at Symposium recently, exactly as you say, what are you seeing that, that treasurers have to be focusing on now going forward? And what what should be front of mind for those guys? You know, sometimes you're cyber, sometimes you're doing different things. What What is your focus on, if you like? Sure. I don't know what's not front of mind right now, I suppose, but certainly counterparty risk has been quite topical for folks and whether that's in the form of your investment exposure to financial institutions or whether it's your operating bank structure or the value of your derivatives outstanding. That's a pretty big topic, something that our management and audit committee has been quite keen to stay close to. For Biomarin, you know, we're also thinking about FX strategy and have have over the last sort of couple plus years as the euro dynamic, you know, changed fairly dramatically at one point, right below parity and now having rallied fairly substantially. So currency is always a key part of our business. It's a big piece of our, our growth story is our international composition. And then our, our capital markets and, and sort of debt structure is something that we're, we're quite attuned to. The company is traditionally raised funding through both equity and convertible debt. And we've got a note maturing August next year. So we want to be thoughtful about how our capital structure evolves to meet the needs, the needs of the business. And with yourself, I know that, you know, networking and being at those conferences is important. It's one of the things that that's how we, we'd seen that you were, you were involved in some of these conferences. Why do you think that's so important? You touched on it earlier a little bit, but I sort of didn't want that to run away with us, but you know, where do you see it going next? What are the key things? Yeah, I think, you know, it's just, it's just the diverse perspective is, is one, is one thing. And, you know, what other forum can you find where you can hear from a two person treasury team or a, you know, $1 billion company to a $50 billion company with, 100 or 200 people or more. It's almost like this hyper exposure to the full scope of what a treasury function can do if you go to these forums, right? You're getting you're getting incredible speakers. Certainly there are bank sponsors who have a completely different level of expertise. So the exposure across industry and complexity is hard to find in any other format. And do you feel, again, 
one thing I noticed, uh, you know, did the Windy City Summit last week, <clears throat> and we were meant to be fuller than it was, but I think there was a, a heck of a lot of pressure on a lot of treasurers at the moment, and you know, there are a number of people that were going to say, "Oh, we're going to meet up, Mike," and then they were, then suddenly they were pulled left and right. Do you find that yourself that you know you maybe been a lot busier than perhaps you have been, and a little bit more selective with your time, or what are you finding yourself with the pressures, if you like? Yeah, for for sure, I think that's been that's just been a theme for the last few years. And again, part of it is the dynamics we're dealing with in the markets. Of course, now the latest one, right, is the U.S. debt ceiling. So the you know how, how do we juggle that? I think part of it as well is the connectivity model for folks uh, can kind of define their, I guess, their bandwidth, right? So I'm quite keen on the in-person conference experience. I think you tend to, once you get there, be able to, to some extent, gut things out outside of that and, and focus. But you can imagine these, you know, a, a, let's say it's a webinar, right? It's so easy for you to get pinged on your online messaging tool and drop off to take another urgent call. So I, I would say I've experienced that a bit as well, right? It's just it's just hard to balance it. And you need to be available to your team, to your cross-functional leadership. And so I think we're all kind of trying to do everything as best we can, stay as sort of available as possible. So it, it creates a bit of a dynamic in terms of the in-person experience. And also, and, and another fact, we had Joseph Noy way back, and I've known Joseph for many years, and the Noy peer, you know, you've got peer groups, you've got other peer groups out there. There are other ones, but the Noy group's obviously leading one of there. That that in-person experience, it was just so great. And, and one of my clients I met for a coffee, we were talking about a couple of roles we were recruiting for them. Um, so if anyone's listening, yeah, we're recruiting Philadelphia in Colorado. So do reach out. But the key thing was, he said, oh, well, well we could have done this virtually. I said, well, we could, but I certainly got so much more from meeting him face to face because it was just, you know, knowing what he was like a little bit, just the nuances of meeting him and what kind of a person he wants. Oh, we could have got this over zoom. I don't know if we could, Yeah, you know, I'd literally just thought to myself, do you know what? I'm getting so much more from meeting you and understanding you as a person that it helps me actually with the matching process makes my life a lot you know they say well have you met him oh no i've just seen him over a you know a flat screen but actually there's nothing like it that's why you know we're doing so many of these conferences we you know we did a number of conferences at the beginning of the year we we've got you know we've got new york cash exchange euro finance and afp and i'm not wanting to take over the show because i was doing well but what i'm saying exactly as you said that actually there's nothing better than meeting people that's what we've missed. That's why hybrid works. You know, people could, you know, otherwise we could all just work from our houses. You know, there's no point right. coming together. But treasury, I find very collaborative. And you've really sort of nailed that a little bit with a lot of the, you know, a lot of the things you've said that, Ara. But, you know, as takeaways today, you know, I, know I don't want to take too much of your time. You're very, very kind already. What are the takeaways that you would give? We, as you may have heard, we will put your LinkedIn details in the show notes. But what are the essential takeaways? advice if you're junior in your career mid-stage or later stage of your career what would you wrap up with today you don't have to set your career path in stone you can you can explore and you can create development in any number of ways and i've done a bit of everything whether that's growing and rotating within a single company organization or 
moving across companies to find different sizes of groups to operate in, different industries. I would say there's a there's a ton of value to that adaptability skill set that you build when you move and you onboard and you evolve a function. I'd say that's a big one. And then I'd come back to the last topic, right? Which is I think I think you're on point in terms of in-person interaction and the fact that you're actually traveling and focusing on that is is a is something that folks should not lose sight of the value there. It's been such a critical part of my career development to create relationships through in-person interaction. And I'm, I'm so keen on continuing that both in the large format, you know, conference settings and in the smaller Neu group professional, professional networks. The way we've sort of talked about it at our company is that you can have the conference call and I apologize for digressing, but I, I think oh, it's no, an important point. You can have the conference call and then the meeting almost happens when you hit end on the call and you have that one-on-one conversation as you walk out of the room. You can't recreate, you can't recreate that experience, right? Mm-hmm. So people should not lose track of, of, of that. So for me, it's, it's networking, it's in-person and it's, it's development, whether it's industry or group size or function itself. Those would be what I would really advocate for. I'm going to leave it there. I could, I could, you and I could talk about this for another hour, but they <laughs> complain that you say, why are you on this podcast for two hours? No, amazing. Ara, thank you for your time. Again, as you say, look forward to seeing you in real life soon. And just, yeah, can't wait for that. And great takeaways. Great story. Thank you very much. You've been very kind today, sir. Mike, thanks for uh, stimulating my brain to, to talk about it. It's a lot of fun. And <laughs> I do look forward to meeting you in person one day. Yes. That. Thanks. Hello, Treasury professionals. Before you dive into the next episode, could you please help me continue to grow the world's only global Treasury salary survey? That's right, our one. We run the results quarterly, so you know your compensation is constantly benchmarked against the market and your peer group each and every three months. It's amazing, isn't it? Just go to treasurysalary.com takes less than two minutes to complete start to finish you then gain exclusive regular updated access to our salary survey keeping you ahead of the curve the survey is an evolving breathing entity that constantly tracks the salaries of treasury professionals on a global basis currently we have over 1100 participants taking part by the end of 2023 i want to hit 1500 but that's where i need your help please make it happen at treasurysalary.com Thank you for being such amazing loyal listeners. Your support is incredible. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Go to treasurysalary.com. Make it 1500 for 2023. Love you guys.